look, one can always save healthcare costs by not consuming healthcare. That's not what we're about. We're about really making sure that those employees are making the best decisions so they're as healthy as they can be. Welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast, a weekly show where we bring you interviews and in-the-weeds expertise with today's B2B experts and thought leaders. You can see more about today's episode and guest by visiting our website at leadersofb2b.com. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B companies launch revenue-generating podcasts. We schedule interviews between you and your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up for engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? Reach out to us at contentallies.com. Hey there, leaders, and welcome back to another episode of Leaders of B2B. Today, super excited to have Edmundo Gonzalez on the show of Marpay Health. Really excited to have you on here today, Edmundo. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Awesome. Well, you know, I'm excited to learn more and dive into the nuances of a, of a healthcare startup, and especially in today's day and age. But um, for everyone out there who uh, maybe isn't familiar with you or what Marpay Health does, can you give us a quick 90-second overview of just uh, what you guys do as a business? You bet. So we are first and foremost a, a technology company uh, operating within the, the healthcare uh, industry, which, as you know, is a, is a very, very vast uh, industry. So our core business is predicting and helping to prevent costly events in healthcare. Uh, what does that mean? It means we can predict using the latest uh, advances in artificial intelligence uh, who within a population may be sick uh, or who within that population may be on a journey to have a very high cost event. The reason we want to know these things is so we can work with members, meaning the, the people that uh, get health insurance benefits from us, um, either get better or make sure that they know the right care options that are available to them. Yeah. So if I understand that correctly from, and I always like to try to kind of like repeat back uh, <laughs> my understanding uh, on these, but uh, from what I kind of saw from your explanation on the site is an example of this would be say, a company's health insurance plan, and they're looking for ways to kind of gather data and understand, okay, these, say, employees or may be at risk, uh, or they are likely to have a high cost event coming up because of XYZ factors that we're seeing. Is that kind of like a, a good example of that? It is, it is. So we, uh, through our journey, we started off, you know, just as a as a software company, I have a lot of experience in kind of creating uh, and, and you know, building uh, software companies. And we started off as, as that. Um, earlier this year, we decided actually to uh, pivot a bit and become an actual healthcare payer. So we are the administrator of healthcare plans. We did that through uh, a kind of a huge acquisition for us, um, which essentially brought us into, <clears throat> excuse me, the payer market. What, what that means is that we work with employers that are self-insured. Self-insured just means that they're actually paying all of the cost of their employees' health care. They, they don't have insurance per se. They are the insurance company uh, because they have a large enough pool. So with that, we 
have, you know, tens of thousands of employee lives that we're responsible for administering all aspects of their healthcare. And that really gives us a seat at the table, maybe even the driver's seat, to be able to affect the change we want to affect. Our mission really is to save lives, improve lives, and cut a lot of costs out of the healthcare system. We thought um, we could do that only as a software company partnering with health plans, but there, a lot of these are very slow moving. So we thought, well, one way to kind of speed it up is actually to become the health plan. <laughs> so uh, that, that's what we did. We're super excited to you know, be on this journey and hopefully help many, many tens of thousands of people in the years to come. That's incredible and um, must have been quite a jump to you know, becoming an actual um, healthcare administrator in that sense first just being a software company. And so I'm curious, can you maybe walk us through the journey and the choice to make that jump? Was it something where you guys were in like seed or early funding and you just couldn't get like that first big customer? And so then like the pivot happened or, or what, what was like the actual journey like there? <laughs> it, 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 you know, it, it's a series of, uh, of, of events. So first of all, my, my background has been not only in building companies, but I actually sat at the other side of the table, meaning as an investor funding a lot of these uh, companies. So because of that, my last uh, software uh, company in, in healthcare, uh, where myself and the chairman were, were the uh, co-founders of, it, we had a, a kind of a bird's eye view into this industry. We also had a lot of very happy investors because most investors made between a 25 and 30 time uh, return. We actually sold that company to private equity uh, last June, June of, tw- of 2020. So because of, of those experiences, we knew two things. First, that healthcare is incredibly complex as an industry. It's incredibly complex to make a, a business that is scalable um, and interesting uh, to, to financial investors and also impactful for patients, providers, uh, you know, at the same time. It's just hard hard to do. Um, Secondly, we also knew that we needed to follow the money in terms of being able to create a scalable business. And in the last journey, that's exactly what we did. And, you know, I've just told you the result. It was a very, very healthy exit. So in this uh, journey here, again, when your mission is to predict and help prevent, well, you have to also be able to you know, take the action. Essentially, uh, you have to be able to educate that member that he or she has options in terms of who to see, uh, what doctors to choose, which are the best doctors. So it was a very natural journey for us to purchase the payer because we had actually been working with this payer uh, for a year. The payer helped us create our product. It was our design partner and would have been our first you know, substantial client. We just decided to buy our client, <laughs> so it's a little, a little, a little different, uh, maybe in the journey. But uh, and through uh, you know, wonderful partners on on the other side, meaning the selling owners of this payer, who are now you know minority shareholders in in Marpay, we were able to to execute this. So it's quite a change, but uh, uh, no regrets. I think it's definitely the right move. 
And, you know, we wake up every day very excited to continue building the, the company. That's incredible. Um, and I love that story of what starts as a partnership, just pivots into an acquisition and, uh, and everything there. Um, one question I have, and I always find this really fascinating about healthcare companies um, as startups is, I think what's really, I guess I would say unique about a lot of healthcare companies is the ones that I see are successful. It's like you come out of the gate with some really big relationship and it's almost like there's almost always like one really big relationship which just starts the foundation of a great company and then i imagine it's just kind of trying to replicate or add more onto that or anything there but i don't know that's, that's a trend that i've seen among healthcare entrepreneurs um, and i'm curious your your thoughts on that or is it almost like the the network or the relationships you had kind of built the foundation of this or what are your thoughts there well you know it, it just in in i don't know having funded Again, not as an entrepreneur, but as an investor, gosh, two dozen companies. I think you're right. In, in many cases, that's true, but it's a double-edged sword, right? Because if that large relationship uh, changes or if the environment changes or regulation changes, it, it could mean, you know, a disaster. Here, one of the things that's attractive about this uh, company we we bought, which is now fully Marpe, we, we've it's it's a wholly owned subsidiary. Of course, that's where all the you know the revenue and the growth and everything is. But but it's it's Marpe, and we have a very diversified uh, book of business. So we have sixty five corporate clients. No one uh, represents over ten percent of revenue. That's good, right? Because clients in healthcare do switch every now and then, or they come to the table for whatever reason, right? There's a lot of factors here. There's brokers as well involved as, as middlemen between you and the end client. So this is highly complex and you want a diversified base. One of the things though, to your point on having a great initial partner, I think we have really two. <laughs> One is Aetna. So Aetna um, has a division which basically rents or gives access to their very vast network. And they do that very, very sparingly, um, a, a very judiciously. So we are one of the few administrators that can essentially use the Aetna network. Now, what does that mean? If you're a company, say, of 500 employees and who wants to be self-insured, so I can go to you and say, Jake, I'm going to provide you access as if your employees were fully insured on the Aetna network. That's huge. That means basically they can go to almost any doctor in, in the United States, access all the CVS uh, clinics. Uh, there, there's huge benefits to that as well as huge economic benefits because they're so big, they give big discounts to our clients. That's a very big thing. The second point is that my uh, one of the investors, actually the one who sold me, the, the third-party administrator, a, is a maven in, in healthcare. He actually built his uh, company, it was called Welldyne, and sold it for about a billion dollars to private equity. He's a very active investor in, in healthcare and just a phenomenal guy. So when I went to him with, with this you know, issue, like, hmm, should we continue building a software company or pivot to be a payer, he immediately got it. He's like, look, you have to be a payer because the payers are who are in control of a lot of this 
workflow and money flow. So in order to affect change, you have to be the owner of the pipes. You know? uh, and that's what we did. So my, my second question was, well, you we happen to own a payer. Do you want to sell it to me? So we, obviously he said yes. And, you know, a few months later, we uh, we concluded the deal. It's incredible. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, just one of the other things, I guess, um, from this is, I guess, I guess I'm getting at is maybe now that you're at this stage in your career where you're kind of making investments, you're making acquisitions, I think that's a lot of different than a lot of tech companies that may be kind of in the, the earlier stages of, you know, just kind of hustling and grinding. And for you, it seems more like these kind of big relationship moves. And maybe could you describe to me, like, what what does your role look like these days? And what has your role been in this company, you know, versus maybe what it was like earlier in your career? Sure, sure. So, look, I've had the the kind of privilege of being uh, both an entrepreneur and and a formal investor, you know, in a formal fund setting and everything. I, I'll tell you, being an entrepreneur is the best. It's uh, uh, just in terms of your, you know, satisfaction with what you're doing. I think there's nothing better. It's also so much harder. Oh, man, it, it is so much harder trying to create something from scratch. Look, for for us with uh, a lot of experience on the money side, uh, the capital is kind of the least of our worries. We know we could, you know, put in our own capital, but also, you know, access uh, capital from people that we've made money, you know, in the past for. But um, trying to create something from scratch, trying to create that product, which you have a vision for, but doesn't yet exist, and trying to create a team that every day wakes up motivated to you know help you create this that's extremely hard extremely hard and that's why a lot of you know startups don't work out even though the ideas may be really really good it's execution so i have tried uh, to surround myself here and this is just based on experience i've i've tried to have very simple rules for who to hire so when I'm hiring someone, I want to make sure that the candidate is fully employed, that the candidate also is probably in a job that he or she thinks is the best thing they've ever done, is, is happy in every, in every respect, making a lot of money, more money than they've ever made. That's the one I want, <laughs> right? That's the one I want to recruit. So when you surround yourself with people like that, you know, it, it sounds very trite. It's like, oh, it's all about the team, the team. Everyone says that. And and one tends to think when you're outside that it's just talk, but it's everything. It really is everything, right? So I, I'm really trying to build one of the best teams in the industry. Uh, I've been able to recruit some phenomenal people to run this, this TPA division, including a 30-year, you know, Maven used to be a chairwoman of the the industry association she's been in this you know forever i mean since claims came uh, in the mail on paper they don't anymore by the way but uh, <laughs> and really really spectacular people and not only at the leadership level but really in the ranks as well that's incredible um can you maybe dive more into the, those hiring rules i love that on uh, i want the person who is fully employed and at their best job ever i guess what is your kind of reasoning or, or logic behind going toward people like that? Well, the the, the issue is that it, it works, right? I've seen it work. Look, in, in the last uh, 
a company that I, I mentioned had a, a tremendous uh, exert, exit that was called Nuvum Health, by the way. It was sold to Parthenon uh, Capital, which is one of the probably best performing PE funds in, in the healthcare space. Uh, there, the team did something very special. You know, we had a, a tremendous operator uh, who was a, the, the CEO and the president was actually a lady who, who was the founder of the company and a real industry maven, but a leader in basically everything to do with what that company did, that discipline. It was in the prescription drug delivery space and also had tremendous strengths in sales. But we knew she was not an operator. So what we did is actually after the founding, after standing all this company up funding it, we brought in probably one of the best operators ever. And, and then there's luck and magic. What if these people don't get along? That's it's, We're all humans, right? It's human nature. So there's a little bit of luck and a little bit of, of, of overall management as a board and as, as founders to make sure that all of the systems are working together and all the people are working together. And that basically each person is in a position to win and to thrive in what they're good good at. You can't take you know the all-star salesperson and all of a sudden say, look, because he's so amazing in sales, I want him to run operations. That would be a disaster. <laughs> right? It's a full-on disaster. So you have to make all of these decisions. Look, I, I've also said the worst thing you can do in promoting your absolute best salesperson is putting them in management. That's the, the most horrible thing to do. You want this person to be a producer, to be out there and selling, right? Uh, so you have, to, you have to kind of have a sense for what is going to make each team member happy. And I, I do believe in that. You know, happy does is that at the, at the end of it, it's beyond even the financial rewards uh, because that's kind of daily. The financial rewards may be delayed for many years. And uh, they have to just be excellent at one thing. At their job, and that's okay. Very, very few people are are excellent at at various things. <laughs> nice. Uh, I, that's my experience, at least. <laughs> I love that, and that's um, yeah, just uh, so many good nuggets and just rules there on uh, on hiring and everything. One of the other questions I always like to ask is, you know, what have been the the hard parts or the challenges that you've had along this path? You know, I know you guys are a few years in with this and everything, and so maybe what are the what have been some of the biggest challenges? Yeah, look, the the challenges are are what what one would expect, I think. So creating artificial intelligence algorithms and predictions is core science, especially at our level. So some algorithms uh, and some investments that we make will not work. And people go, oh my gosh, it doesn't work. No, no, no. The ones in production, of course they work. But there's, there's a lot of starting and stopping and a lot of failure. So you have to be ready, as, as one of my uh, partners uh, says, you have to be ready to fail fast. And that's, that is great. This is, we're inventing stuff here. So of course, it's going to be, you know, starting and stopping and failing and, and reprioritizing. That is great. But in this process, if you can build this, this process, you, you then have a system that makes good things, even if it throws out nine out of 10 uh, of the initial, you know, ideas that uh, that you created. By the way, you also have to be funded for that. A lot of the cases of, you know, great 
uh, ideas turning into startups and then failing is because they weren't really diversified. They were they were one one trick ponies, right? From our point of view, well, now of course we have an ongoing business. We have you know tens of millions of dollars of revenue, so it's a whole other thing because we we purchased this payer. Now we're a payer, but even before then, when we weren't, we were funding stuff in R and D that may not work. And that's okay. And when you're in this business, that's okay. The only thing is you have to have diversity. So one of the three things works, hopefully, you know. And and I think we've we've done that. Uh, we've done that, you know, pretty well. You know, one of the other big challenges for us and, and for the industry is that healthcare data, data is the fuel of all artificial intelligence, right? You can't exist without data. Data in our world of healthcare lives in many different silos, does not really, those silos don't really talk to each other. Uh, and that's a huge problem. That's a huge problem that we face every day, even as a payer with millions and millions of claims uh, processed every year, right? So that's something we have to overcome uh, creatively working with other payers, working with certain states in, in certain cases. So we make sure we have the fuel we need to create these insights. So there's so many points that I want to hit on. So the first is, I guess, so that when you talk about kind of running these, these rapid experiments and everything like this, you know, one out of three or one out of 10 works, how does your team go about kind of prioritizing running those? How do you deem something a success, a failure? Do you guys have kind of like an organized, yeah. like agile type process where these are sprints or how, how do you guys approach that? So, so we do, but so let me separate the two items. So there's algorithm development, which is really core science. That's a research job, real, really the R in R&D. The development is really how do you bring all of these insights into a product, right? Let's say into an alert that says, Jake, I know Jake may actually have a knee replacement in the next, say, six months, right? So that's a very different thing. So that's kind of traditional coding and product development to core research. So we have a division called Marpe Labs where all of this happens. So we have some of the top researchers in deep learning. This is the most advanced form of artificial intelligence. We also pair them with data scientists and data analysts who are ingesting data, cleaning it, and making it essentially ready for the researchers to do research on, right? So we start everything with a question, meaning can we predict who will be you know, diabetic in the next 12 months? I don't know. Right. So that's it's a hypothesis that we can, given this mountain of data, but who knows? Right. So then our researchers go forth and try to figure this out with medical claims, with, you know, uh, Rx claims and, and a whole bunch of other data. And they're doing this based on mountains and mountains of data, far, far more data than our current members, which we have to acquire, partner with the owners of, of all of this uh, data. So we're creating a world, right? The, a simulation of the world with millions and millions of, of people. And with that, we can see patterns in that data. And all of a sudden, your question is either answered Maybe not so well, meaning, yes, you can predict, but you have a lot of false positives. So the algorithm is not very good. 
Or yes, actually, the, this actually does work when you integrate, you know, these points and that point. Sometimes the algorithms do work, and and you have good uh, precision and good uh, recall, which are two big metrics in the AI uh, space. Now, once you have that, then you can productize it. Then you can say, okay, now let me send the payer, essentially the, the, the care team, the healthcare team inside the payer, let me send them an alert so they can actually work with that member to choose the right provider, for example. That's amazing. That's, so that's, I love that kind of framework and the, the way you guys kind of think about going through those and and kind of itemizing out those tests and everything. And, and I guess, how are you then kind of prioritizing which tests to go toward? Are you kind of just kind of like ranking on like whatever you think is going to make the greatest impact back to the mission? Or how do you kind of choose that? No, it's a great question. So so first and foremost, we, we have essentially two bodies of research. One is around chronic conditions. So chronic conditions is diabetes, cardiovascular conditions, uh, COPD, and others. These together account for about two-thirds of all healthcare spending in the United States. So obviously you have to be able to have a, a, you know, a product. If you want to affect the overall cost of claims, you need to play in this space. So we're looking literally by condition here to see what our mountains of data can tell us about a member's journey within this space. Our job is to be able to get in front of these conditions before they happen. Now, why? Why is that? Let's say that you're on a journey to have diabetes, uh, type 2 diabetes, right? So, but you're not diagnosed. You're not pre-diabetic yet. Uh, but given your past claims, given your, your data, uh, we know with, with a good amount of certainty that you're on that journey. Well, our mission is to get you to a primary care physician who can run all the blood tests, potentially give you a change of diet or a change uh, in your prescription drugs. So you may have a maintenance drug, for example, that costs $70 a month, okay? Cost the plan $70. But what have you done? You've actually averted an ER visit that may cost $17,000 and may put your life at risk, right? So that's really what we're about, really giving you a sneak peek into the future so we can circumvent those events. Now, that's one body of research with chronic conditions. On the other side are really what we call general costly events. So think of a high-cost operation, okay, a knee replacement, rotator cuff replacement, even actually high-cost images like an MRI. So what happens is when you look at data like we do, you're looking at variations in price of five to seven times. Not five to seven percent, but five to seven times for the same procedure in the same metropolitan area. So that's just weird. That that doesn't make any sense, right? Uh, it's completely completely weird. So our job there is to match our members to the best providers. The best providers, on a quality and cost perspective, um, are have the best outcomes. Meaning they don't have readmissions. They, they have very little errors in what they do. They are experts in, say, the knee <laughs> versus another you know, part of your body. So our, our job is really to match those. Why are we doing that? We know that when you match to quality, right, to quality outcomes, you're affecting the overall cost of claims, which our employer clients 
uh, obviously love because our employer clients are self-insured, meaning they're actually paying out, you know, cash for this. There is no insurance per se that they're, they're the insurance company. So it's real dollars for them. I love that. And, and that kind of brings into, I think, another part where, again, when I kind of worked in the healthcare space, um, we were in the physical therapy world and there was a lot of everyone was talking about outcomes, outcomes, outcomes. So this was about 10 years ago. And it was like this kind of like buzzword of things that were coming at the time. And I'm curious as like a, a third party administrator of what you guys like, how much, how are you guys measuring outcomes? Are you actually tracking that? And then, like you said, like that's kind of impacting where you send people to or, or how do you look at that? Yeah, no. So look, all of all of what we're doing is related to two things, right? It's outcomes and the overall cost of claims. So and they're they're very interrelated, right? So we want to make sure that we are focusing our clients' attention to the overall cost of claims, not this fee or that fee or you know the the pieces that, uh, that make up the overall cost of claims by hitting. Uh, and and solving potentially preventing some of these high dollar events, even for a small part of the population, like two, three, five percent of the population, those members are so high cost that by changing that trajectory, you've actually affected the overall cost of claims for your say five hundred employees. Right? Remember that most employees. Um, are not high cost. Right? The, the cost of claims is definitely not even if you're looking at, at an employee population. So our job is really to focus on those that are potentially very, very high cost claimants and help them, help them have better health, which uh, equals lower cost for the employer. That's, that's the mission. Nice. Love that. Great. So as we're getting kind of closer to time wrapping up here, one of the questions that I always really like to to ask is, you know, where where do you guys see Marpe Health going in the future? Um, you know, what what do you see as the potential? Like, I love the mission that you guys have, and do you guys see this kind of just growing with more clients? Do you see other big moves in the industry, or what are your thoughts there? Yeah, yeah. So look, a lot is happening, obviously, in the industry, both on the uh, I'm going to call it the the behavioral change side, meaning if you have a, a diabetic patient, so help him or her get better. A lot of innovation is happening there. And, and we're certainly playing in that field almost incidentally, right? Because we're first and foremost a payer, but that's our vehicle to lower the overall cost of claims on behalf of our employer groups that are our clients. I actually see this company growing both organically and through acquisitions. I think what we're building here is a much better product and solution that's not only about paying bills. You know, when you look at the third-party administrators, okay, so they pay claims. That's what they do, right? So, of course, we do that. That's the basic. But a lot of them, the vast majority of them, do not have solutions that really impact human life, right? That, that essentially make you better or save your life, right? That's our business. So by integrating these two things, meaning having all of the basic functions of, uh, of a TPA, of a third-party administrator, that means paying the bills on time, being a good you know, steward, obviously, for, for the client's uh, healthcare spend, helping that client you know, save money where appropriate. Those are all the basics that we do. But more than that, it, the how we do it, which is 
really by working with members, engaging members, and making sure that they're making the right healthcare decisions for the benefit of their own health, and obviously, incidentally, for the benefit of, of, of the employer group who's paying the vast majority of, of the claims, I think that's just a better solution than that's out there. So we can't wait to communicate this you know, more and more to employer groups, to brokers as well, and to grow, to grow quickly, both organically. And, and again, we will be active buyers, of, uh, especially of other you know, high-quality books of business. Yeah, that's incredible. Um... Not to say that again, I uh, like 10 years ago, I was so I was like uh, dabbled in this space and I feel like people were talking about all of this, like behavioral change and like things, but it was like, just no one was like, no one was actually on board to like pay for it or adopt it. And it's really cool to see what you guys are doing with the model where you're actually like saying, okay, we're not just going to pay to fix things. We're going to try to avoid costs. We're going to try to help people before they get sick. Because I feel like that the historic model of healthcare has only been like just fix, and uh, and it seems like there's a, a shift in there. Would you, is that a trend you're seeing, or any thoughts on that? Well, it certainly is a trend with value based care. I think uh, it it's an underlying trend throughout the industry. I think the the winners will be those that can do it well, and eventually, and eventually is like in the next few years, not in the next decades really prove it out. Meaning, hey, employer, you would have spent, say, $10,000 per employee life, but with us, you're spending 9000 right? That's really going to be, I think, the mark of success. I would actually love to have a big comma after that. And, and <laughs> you've saved this, you have saved this many lives or you've improved these many lives, right? That is what's lost because look, one can always save healthcare costs by not consuming healthcare. That's not what we're about. We're about really making sure that those employees are making the best decisions so they're as healthy as they can be. Nice. I love that. And final question here, if you could go back, say, 10 years in your entrepreneurial journey, uh, what advice would you give your younger self? Oh, goodness. I would have maybe done this more. You know, I spent uh, a good 15 years of my career as an investor sitting on the other side and watching, watching and building, you know, some of the most amazing teams out there. But doing this in my early career and now jumping ahead and doing it again now makes me think I, I may have, uh, you know, had a lot more fun in, in uh, being on the entrepreneurial side always. That being said, uh, because of the varied experience and access to capital markets and everything, it does make this side of the table a lot funner when you know you have money to pay the light bill. <laughs> uh, I mean, it sounds like great. I mean, you uh, you don't have to worry about raising capital as much as most entrepreneurs do. And that's like, that's the part that I know most of them just hate or it's that thing that they got to do on top of like running the company. So it sounds like uh, that's a little easier for you, which makes it a lot more fun. So <laughs> it does consume a lot of, a lot of the typical entrepreneur's time. And we've been lucky that that is uh uh, you know, that that's one thing we do very well. So <laughs> it's amazing. Well, um, for anyone out there that wants to learn more about Marpe Health or yourself online, uh, what's the best place to go and find you? Please visit our website. We are at marpehealth.com. Marpe is M-A-R-P-A-I health.com. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on here, Edmundo. Thank you. It's a pleasure, Jake. Thanks so much. 
Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com.